Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Carla Hannaford. Dr. Hannaford is a biologist, a kinesiologist, and an educator with more than 40 years of teaching experience. She has been recognized by the Who's Who in American Education, received awards from the University of Hawaii and the American Association for the Advancements of Science for Outstanding Teaching. And in 2006, she was a distinguished lecturer for the National Association of Elementary School Principals. In addition, Dr. Hannaford is a prolific author and she has written four books about learning, movement, and the brain. One of those books is entitled Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And now, here is our guest, Dr. Carla Hannaford, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. You also talk about, and I think that's really interesting, you talk about the role that emotions play in learning. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, it's energy in motion. It's our passion. It's uh, what motivates us to do something new, to explore. Really, our emotions, as we get into our emotions, they actually are healing. This is really interesting. Dean Ornstein said that we develop language to cover up our emotions. Those emotions are really important for our healing. When we're upset about something, we watch children. Children know how to emote. When they're upset, they, you know, they're upset. They don't say anything, but they vote, you know, they, there's sound and there's body movement. They're upset. You're very aware. When we're sad, we cry. Crying will put years on our, our life. It actually helps the immune system. And yet people will say, oh, I'm so sorry. I cried and, and stop their tears. Or we tend to Somebody starts to cry and we go to hold them and we stop their process. We stop them crying because we're uncomfortable. Those emotions that come up help us. If you watch a child, when they're emoting, it's quick and then it's done, right? As adults, a lot of times we just stuff our emotions, especially I think we've been told as women that we're too emotional and so we stuff our emotions. And then what happens? It decreases the immune system and we start developing internal disease. And we know that people with cancer, it's very much, they're, they're not expressing their emotions. It's like they've, they've just pushed it. They've stopped it. So, but also those emotions, when we are excited about something, really learning, really right in the moment about something, we're producing a very potent hormone called dopamine, which does a lot of things. There is some pleasure to it, but it's also activating that that want, that need to go and explore and learn. One of my favorite quotes from Einstein now is, he said, I have no special gifts. I'm just passionately curious. We want to have children that are curious, that are interested, that express, you know. And here, now here's another thing, you know, as adults, our children are so aware of us. They know. They're picking us up and they're picking up our emotions. When we're feeling down and they come to us and they go, oh, mommy, are you feeling bad? A lot of the times parents will go, 
oh no, I'm fine, honey. And then the child goes, oh, I can't trust my knowing, you know, because they know. They are so aware of our emotions and they're actually mirroring our emotions to understand, to become human like we are. They want to be like us. And this brings up another fact that call them the mirror neurons in the brain. We mirror each other, children especially. We take them to the grocery store at the end of our day and we're so tired and grouchy and you know. And so the kid has a does a little temper tantrum and it's just all they're doing is expressing what we're feeling for them to understand it so what you're saying <laughs> is that and let me see if i'm understanding i'm trying to paraphrase that when we open up ourselves to embracing the emotions that we're having in the moment and accepting all the chemistry that comes with that that we're open to learning yeah paraphrase yeah, Candace Pert said the only way we do learn is if we're passionate about it, if we're interested. And, and that those are our emotions, you know, energy and motion. It gives us energy. They did a wonderful study on child prodigies or what we thought were child prodigies. And they discovered that it's not genetic. It has to do with mirroring the parents. So we as parents or teachers or people... If we can mirror to our children that curiosity about life, that excitement, that passion about life, they will be passionate. Here's an interesting fact, too. When we have an emotion, and I'm, I'm talking now maybe about anger, which is, is a very valid emotion. And again, you know, if it can be expressed and when children express the anger, we can say, boy, I see that you're really angry. So they're giving them a word for it, an understanding of it. What's interesting is that with the, the body, the way it's set up, it's 90 seconds when we have no control over that emotion. It comes out. There it is, 90 seconds. And then we can choose what we're going to do with it. You know, so we can say to the child, boy, are you angry right now? So they get that in that 90 seconds. Yes, I'm angry. And then it's like, what? What are you going to do with that? Give them an opportunity to look at, you know, where they can go with that. Are you going to escalate it? Are you going to look at it in another way? But whatever happens, it's going to be far better than stuffing it. For example, then, like you said, when there's passion, that can open you to being creative and learning. And when there's maybe another emotion like anger, that can open you or the parent or the caregiver as far as if you're helping the child. It can give you an opportunity for guidance mm -hmm. to be able to learn what to do thoughtfully about the emotion that you're feeling. When a child is sad and crying, this is a really big thing. Don't just, you know, grab them. And hold Don't do that. Open your arms and give them the space to come to you where you can hold them. But give them that choice. It's a choice. That way you're not stopping their process. You're allowing them to cry, which is really important. And the other thing is, is when we're crying, let that child hold us or, or go to the child and say, will you hold me? I'm not feeling good. So that they learn empathy, you know, and compassion, which right now there's a little less of that than ever before. And we're looking, I love my technology. 
But there's some real detrimental things in that technology, especially with young children up to the age of 11. In fact, we're seeing it that we're saying, no, none of that. No computers, no phones, no iPads, no nothing like that until about the age of 11 when Rudolf Steiner says, now this is appropriate. In those first 11 years, the brain is developing in a global sense and allows the brain to see the whole world and then use that to bring in new ideas and new concepts and be creative in their lives. A huge study in Germany showed that when children early on are on this wonderful technology of ours, which is not appropriate for children, but what it is is zeros and ones. It's very linear. These children have a very hard time thinking outside the box, coming up with new ideas. It was interesting to me. I did an in-service to the uh, schools in San Francisco, the Waldorf schools, all the Waldorf schools. And it was right after the BBC had been there and did this whole thing on these schools because so many of the children coming to that school were coming from families in Silicon Valley. And here, these are our parents that are on computers all day, yet those parents had to sign a contract saying those there would be no computers or televisions or iPads or cell phones in the home until the child was 11, 11 years of age, wow. you know, and they felt very strongly. I mean, Steve Jobs wouldn't let his children be on computers. They knew it wasn't appropriate. Once they hit that kind of 11, 12 year age, then they had the tools to come at, at these technologies and create new things with them. That's powerful information and yeah. important information for parents and caregivers or, mm -hmm. to know, especially for parents, of course, because that developing brain, that when you actually are able to realize the power that you have in your hands just by manipulating the environment, that's huge. This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. That's powerful information and yeah. important information for parents and caregivers or to know, especially for parents, of course, because that developing brain, that when you actually are able to realize the power that you have in your hands just by manipulating the environment, that's huge. It so is. So thank it you is. for sharing that. I wanted to go back 
to the emotion part only because in your book, you have a fantastic chapter that deals with stress and learning. And Mm -hmm. I think that this is a huge thing because such an important subject, since we all have to maneuver the effects of negative stress in our lives every day, parents, Mm -hmm. caregivers, but students specifically in this day and age, they have to cope with many undesirable stressors and they still have to perform academically. What advice do you have for parents to help their kids in this particular area? Okay, first thing is, if the parent is stressed, the child is stressed. Emotions are contagious. It's so important. So here's the thing too that's really interesting is we have a physiology of stress that is set up for fight or flight in a life and death situation. It is not, there's no such thing as you stress and distress in the body. There is, you're either in that life and death situation or you're not. And unfortunately, what we've done is applied this physiology to all sorts of things in our lives. Okay. And it's not good for us. A a whole lot of things happen when we start producing a chemical called adrenaline and cortisol. It actually inhibits the learning process and it shuts down. When we're in stress, the, the neocortex of the brain is actually shut down by 75 to 85%. So you have, you can't use what you need, the frontal lobes where you do executive reasoning and you come up with new ideas, and where the high-level emotions are of love, altruism, compassion, empathy, it's not available. It's shut down. And what's in there is just that fight or flight. So we don't want to do that. We really don't. How do we we stop this? What's very interesting is, again, the the latest um, issue of Scientific American Mind, it says the exercise cure for depression. And depression is major stress, and it's one of the big epidemics in the world today. What they say is just taking a walk will stop that cross-lateral movement again. Here's another thing. When people do exercise, do these cross-lateral movements. And walking is a great one. Walking was one of the best that you can do. If you, were, if you walk 30 minutes, what do they say? 30 minutes, three or f- to five times a week, just walking in a good, brisk walk. Uh, you're helping everything in your body, your whole brain. But we know that that exercise will actually cause you to produce more mitochondria in the brain and in the muscles. Now, mitochondria are energy packets in our cells where we take food and break it down and release energy. And you were asking about, you know, what can we do to be more energetic? Well, we need to move. We need to exercise. And I see so many people today that are tired and can't, you know, just have no energy and they're not moving. The Kaiser Foundation did a study with 11 to 18 year olds finding that they spend at least 11 hours a day on social media, computers, iPads, tell, you know, cell phones and that sort of thing, where they're not moving. There's another thing that happens, let me bring it in now too, but Mark Bowerlin did a big study and found too that 
these teenagers cannot pick up, understand facial expressions or body language. That's the main way we get information from each other. And it's because they're, you know, texting each other, but they're not looking at the other person. We know that the face, for instance, has all these muscles that when I'm talking to you, your, the muscles of your face are actually moving in response to mine in order for you to understand what I'm feeling and what I'm really saying. Okay, because words don't do it. It's, you know, that facial and body language. And they did a study with people that had strokes so that one side of the face was paralyzed. Greatest thing that bothered them was that they couldn't understand the emotions of others. So they thought, wow, let's do a study with people that have Botox, you know, injections where the, the face is paralyzed. And sure enough, those people could not understand the emotions of others and in many cases could not feel those emotions themselves. Wow. That's yeah. huge. It's, it's really, it is. <laughs> it's really huge. And I, and I love how you were able to immediately also not just explain this process of how to deal with or how to understand what's happening with the stress that is negative stress, but then that there are things you can do, like walking, which was walking, great advice. You know, just simple thing, unrolling your earlobes from top to bottom will, uh, you know, this, this is huge too. 5,000 years ago, the, the yellow emperor in China talked about the fact that in the ear are all of these points that actually activate the whole body to wake up, to be aware, and to be integrated. Now, there's 60 journals coming in monthly into the National Medical Library in Washington, D.C., just on traditional Chinese medicine. And guess what they discovered? We have meridian system, and that here in the ear, every time you, you are activating this area of the ear, you're activating your feet. Hmm. And as you come around, you're activating the spine and you're activating the head. There you go. You Reflexology know. on the ears. <laughs> exactly. So it's scientific. Absolutely. There you have the scientific background to support all of this theory and all of this information you're giving us today. I want to move to your other book. You you touched a little bit on it a little earlier is the Dominance Factor book, because I think that book is fascinating as well. The title of the book is Dominance Factor, Knowing Your Dominant Eye, Ear, Brain, Hand, or Foot, and How It Can Improve Learning. Now tell us, how does that work? You did mention that a little earlier. How can a parent help their child figure out if they do have a dominant side or if they don't, what to do? Just give us some ideas. They, of course, the listeners can go and purchase the book, which has all the specific information, but you can give us some ideas to get started. With. Yes, I can. We're all different. You know, we really are. And uh, when I was working with Bob Samples, we were saying, oh, there can't be mixed dominance. Well, from my research, about 90% of people are mixed dominant. What happens is uh, I get a lot of parents coming to me, you know, and they'll say, my kid never listens to me. The child is, has their ear on the same side as their dominant brain. And so when they're under stress and when the parent's under stress, the child's under stress, the child will not hear the parent. 
Now I know, like with my husband, I, there's, you know, there, he's picking up some things, but, <laughs> but otherwise it's not that they're trying to be bad. It's that they're just, they're blocked on that when they're stressed. And all of these special ed kids that are blocked totally on the right, I mean, that shut down. I know this one well, because that's my profile. And for a long time, I thought it was Einstein's. <laughs> but found out that he is actually left-handed. He was left-handed. But because um, I worked with a woman that was studying his brain in Canada. You know, so we get people like Einstein that are in school, and they're not Einsteins in school. But they have something that they need, that we are missing especially in our school system. Our school system is very linear oriented, very left brain oriented. And we start early and we start goofy things like asking children to read at the age of four when the eyes cannot converge and don't work well until about the age of seven and a half. And then they don't become lifelong readers. These children that shut down boys, too. Here's another thing with boys. They need to move longer than girls. You know, they need to move more than girls. Girls can sit still longer than boys. We're not honoring the the individuality of each child. It's kind of what we call an assembly line education at this moment. We take children that... that the same age, put them in the same classrooms, give them the same materials, many of which have no contextual interest to them at all in their life, and then expect them, you know, and then grade them and say, oh, you're okay and you're not. And it doesn't work. Denmark has the fine, well, Denmark, I actually, most of the Scandinavian countries are the highest education in the world. There's no testing before the age of 12, no testing. The children don't start to read until about the age of seven and a half or eight. They are given a lot of freedom to explore and to go deep in their understanding of, of subjects and where their interests are. Back to the dominant stuff, what I found, I have to say, is that we are, everybody is so unique so different and how we process the world we process it through our genetics which may be the dominance patterns these show up from my research what i found is they showed up at nine weeks in utero the moral reflex it's our survival reflex so we have these lead functions like without having to think about it if i have to fight this my right hand comes out if i'm having to run my right leg comes out i don't have to think about it my eyes we're not totally binocular because we have this nose between our eyes. So we have actually a dominant eye that will be the lead eye and the other will follow it. Again, we have a lead ear and we have a lead hemisphere. If you look at a, a positron emission tomography scan of the brain under stress, what you will see is that the non-dominant side of the brain actually shuts down. By, like I, what I said, 75 to 85%. So you only have one side that's actually functioning. That is for survival, it's our lead function. But it also affects the way we come at our world, how we see our world. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and it's not to be interpreted as medical advice.
as a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyle.com improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation lifestyle improvement occupational therapy we're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed Thank you so much for joining us today here on Lifestyle Improvement for part one of our interview with Dr. Carla Hannaford. Dr. Hannaford is a biologist, a kinesiologist, and an educator with more than 40 years of teaching experience. She has been recognized by the Who's Who in American Education, received awards from the University of Hawaii and the American Association for the Advancements of Science for outstanding teaching and in 2006, she was a distinguished lecturer for the National Association of Elementary School Principals. In addition, Dr. Hannaford is a prolific author, and she has written four books about learning, movement, and the brain. One of those books is entitled Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And don't forget to come back and join us again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part three of our interview with Dr. Carla Hannaford.